Oh boy, it has been way too long, such a long time, but the pitch is back. Your boy, Michael Kirsting, that is Michael with a Y, is back on the mic in front of the screen, recording the pitch once again, finally back after spring break, after about a two-week hiatus beforehand. Your boy's back. I don't know what else to say about it. Baseball, soccer, hot take time back again. Got the Yankees going through spring training, flying through spring training. Boy, since the last episode of The Pitch, the scene at Chelsea FC has completely changed. I will be reporting that and my opinions on Thomas Tuckle's jobs in West London so far. And all I got to say is if you listen back to a few pods ago, you'll hear me have called the signing that the Giants of the Giants and Kenny Galladay, the perfect pairing. I will give my thoughts and assessments on the New York football Giants as well. Let's finally get back to the pitch. It's episode number nine. Welcome back, everybody. Let's do it. vibey little bit of intro music here to stay and let's play some ball on the pitch episode number nine it's baseball time my new york yankees flying through spring training recently on an eight game win streak that of course has now come to an end with monday's loss to the phillies but i've seen some very promising stuff out of my boys down in tampa at stein brenner field first thing you heard me say his name all the time the newly re-signed DJ LeMayhew got his jersey on, got his jersey rocking. He's not the subject of today. He is the indirect subject of today. The subject of today, at least in this little segment of it, is his shortstop partner, Glaber Torres. You know, if you're a Yankees fan, you know that LeMayhew is a, is a rather is a rather reserved guy. He's a leader just by example. He's not really too much of a vocal guy or anything, but there have been reports that Glaber Torres, the opposite of that, he's a very vocal guy, very outgoing, very free-flowing, has struck a partnership. It's not that, I mean, it's a second baseman and a shortstop. The The double play pairing needs to be a pretty, needs to be a pretty telepathic one, but after a few, a few long years, the New York Post has reported that Torres and DJ have become inseparable and that they have built a great bond together. And that to me, that's a little bit scary, even as just even as a Yankee fan, because my gosh, if these two can form an unbreakable bond, we could be seeing the next Jeter and Cano in these guys. Another great double play pairing for the Yankees a few seasons back. They're saying that they the post is reporting that these two have become inseparable and that Glaber just just basically just persisted on and on, just trying to break DJ out of his shell, and he did it. So this is becoming a great pairing between the two. One can lift up the other. DJ has been called an older brother by Glaber. A lot of experience coming out of second base being and DJ being a mentor towards the 24-year-old. It's to me, it's just it's great to see. And the other 29 teams in this league should be really, really scared because 
those two becoming those two could become a collector's item in in the middle of the of the Yankee Stadium infield two of the in my opinion the most dangerous hitters especially Torres in the clutch when they need to be so that's a great look for the Yankees middle infield in the outfield they've got a new bit of color out there red thunder Clint Frazier has been gifted not gifted. I think he deserves it personally, but he has been awarded the starting left field job. So he has been getting his reps in during spring training in preparation for the start of the season. He's hitting just around 330 plate appearances. Not bad at all from the youngster. We knew that us Yankee fans at least knew that his hitting would not be a problem and it would just have to be cleaning up the defense a little bit in left field for young Clint Frazier. So he is well on his way to cementing that left field spot. He already has it cemented. His defense just needs to improve a little bit, as has been the the case for the last few seasons. But him and Aaron Judge out in right field, sharing it with Aaron Hicks in the middle of them too. That's going to be a great, that's going to be some great fun to watch them in the outfield. Now on to the other side of the ball, on the pitching side. That has been the, it seems to have been the Achilles heel in the Yankees over the past two, three seasons, whether they be complete seasons or not. The pitching has come back to bite them. But Garrett Cole in his, in his long-term contract has struck off pretty well so far, leading the roster this year with at least the spring training roster with 19 strikeouts over just about as many innings pitched, maybe a little bit less. And the new guys, Kluber and Tyone, of course, being Corey Kluber, Jameis, and Tyone, two welcome additions by most fans. I'll admit I was not the biggest fan of the Kluber signing because I felt like he took up a bit of cap space. He's old. Yes, he is a two-time Cy Young winner, but he's coming off a few down years, a few injury-ridden years. I mean, the same with Tyone. Jameis and Tyone, of course, traded from the Pirates to the Pinstripes hasn't even thrown a ball in professional play since 2019. But I think the um, I think he's going to be a star because he's got a bit more longevity in him. He is younger. He's coming off of Tommy John. So he is, I think he's going to be revitalized by this Yankees pitching staff. And the only reason I've got Tyone a little bit higher ranked than Kluber is because of their age and because of the wear and tear on Kluber as opposed to Tyone because Yankee fans have seen what he can do when he is healthy. And if they can get him back to that level, he's going to be maybe a number three starter, even maybe a number two behind Garrett Cole in that Yankee staff. But towards the bottom is an interesting, intriguing battle between Michael King and Davey Garcia. Garcia got a few, got some reps last year in the shortened 2020 season. And Davey kind of cemented himself down towards the bottom as that four or five man, either in front or behind Jordan Montgomery is where he's going to be this year. But Michael King also making a statement for himself, throwing double digit innings pitched and posting almost the exact same stats as Davey striking out around six or seven and his, his ERA and his whip throwing very low whip being walks plus hits per innings pitched for those who do not know. And is becoming a much more important stat. ERA is becoming a bit of a lesser, lesser used stat now, of course, with the saber metrics of the game advancing season by season. So the Yanks are looking good. They've got 13, 14 wins with 
with opening day just now nine days away. Absolutely stoked for opening day to be seeing the boys back on the field, hopefully playing a full 162, just like they were two seasons ago. Now, what's keeping what's I'm still cautious. I'm, I'm very optimistic about the season, but it's cautious optimism just because it's still it's still with the pitching that I think if they can get Tyone up to that level, he is going to be the he's going to be the X factor. I think he's going to be their most important guy, their most make or break guy in that pitching rotation. He's kind of like the Gary Sanchez of the pitching rotation. It's if he does well, the team will do very well and will benefit off of him. But he will also it'll also be detrimental if he does not do well. Also, I don't think Kluber is going to be the biggest factor because as I said, the guy's 34 years old and of course, everybody needs to eat. of course I need to acknowledge that he is a former two-time Cy Young winner with Cleveland. But those days are well behind him with the wear and tear of last year and a few down years in Texas. I hope he can prove me wrong, but I, I'm still very hesitant about the, the Kluber signing, despite the fact that he is looking all right this offseason so far. But Tyone is going to definitely be their guy to, to make or break this roster because, of course, Garrett Cole, everybody is aware of what he can do. Herman is going to be back from suspension. Davies going to, and, and Montgomery have solidified the bottom of the rotation. Seve is going to be back in probably maybe around June, July, close to the all-star break. And it'll be, it'll, he'll also be an X factor once he gets back into this roster. But for now, you would just think the middle of that rotation, not really the top or the bottom is the one in question. I'm, I hope Kluber, as I said, can prove me wrong, but I'm, not in the highest of hopes for him, but it is going to be Tyone that's going to really be the decision factor in whether or not this Yankee staff can pull through because it's very obvious that the offense is not the problem. The defense isn't as much a problem as Glaber has looked solid on defense. He's not made an error thus far in the in-spring training. So it's going to be that middle of the pitching lineup, of the rotation, excuse me, that defines the Yankees season. And if Tyone can get back to the level he was 2017, 2018 in Pittsburgh, this Yankees team is going to be really, really scary. And I have, I do have the confidence in Tyone that he can do it. So that's baseball. And we are done on this sec section of the pitch today. Over to soccer, we're going to switch the play where, boy, I've, I mean, let me tell you, Thomas Tuckle has revitalized Chelsea. We're going to highlight all of their successes in the soccer se segment. Let's switch the play right now. So the play has been switched to the soccer section of the pitch. And let me just set the scene for you real quick. On the last episode of the pitch, Thomas Tuckle was in charge of his first game at Chelsea. They played Wolves to a nil-nil draw just one day after Tuckle got hired. So he didn't really have a fair choice or fair shout at who his best players were. Fast forward a few weeks. Tuckle is still undefeated, has not lost a game, and has only given up two goals. Chelsea are back in the top four within striking distance of Leicester and Manchester United. 
in third and second, respectively. On to their first quarterfinal in six, seven years in the Champions League in the FA Cup semis against Manchester City. And just like that, the season has been turned around and it is looking very positive for the for the pride of London and their German manager, Thomas Tuchel. Now, let me say one thing about it. I'm surprised. I'm very, very surprised at how well Tuchel has turned this team around, how he has patched up the defense, and he's really turned, he's revitalized this entire team. I'm going to put it right out on the line right now that I, Tuchel could lead us to the title. I still believe Frank Lampard should have gotten until the end of the season to right the ship at Chelsea, but that is taking absolutely nothing away from Tuchel. He has done an absolutely excellent job of writing this ship at Chelsea. He has been brought in to bring the best out of the young guys, the, their young German players, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, who has finally kind of turned the cylinders a little bit, Timo has. He has found the back of the net. He found it against Sheffield in the league. He has been all over the ball. His touch looks better. He is looking a much more confident player right now is Timo Werner. He has finally scored, as I said, but he is looking even better off the ball. He is creating chances. He's making runs. He's dishing out assists more than anything. He has assisted, I mean, maybe, what, four or five times since Tuckle has taken charge. And I don't think that's a bad thing. He's still involved in the goals. So everybody thought that Timo was going to be coming here to be their born goal scorer. I personally don't think it's a huge issue that he's not scoring goals as long as he's involved in them, involved in the buildup, even if he doesn't get the direct assist. Maybe he finds that incisive pass, makes that incisive run X, Y, or Z, whatever he does. If he's not scoring, as long as he's contributing in a positive way off of that, I have no problem with it. And he's doing so as well. And we have seen also Kai Havertz's best performance in a Chelsea shirt was also a few weeks ago. He forced an own goal and assisted on another. Even though those two have been, they haven't hit top, top form. They have really come out of their shells and they have looked very settled under Thomas Tuckle. Despite that, despite those two looking pretty decent, the attack as a whole has not looked to be firing too strong because Timo, as I said, he still hasn't scored as much. Kai only found the back of the net once or twice, and that was an own goal given against the defender in that game. I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head. But there's been some criticism from the top line. There's been no real efforts to try and switch it too much as Giroud has seen bench time. Tammy Abraham is rumored with a move out because of how little time he's getting. They've played Havertz at a false nine. No Christian Pulisic. As of late, he has featured. He did feature this past weekend in the FA Cup against Sheffield. And um, and he played magnificently. So he has been a real stalwart in in Tuckle's side. Of course, Tuckle was the guy who gave him his first chance at Dortmund. So it was a little surprising that, that Pulisic had seen as little playing time as he did. But 
it was admitted by Tuckle himself that he might not have been as fair in giving Pulisic as little playing time as he did. He got his chance against Sheffield, and he really impressed. So hopefully after the international break this weekend, he can get back into the side and help Chelsea get back to his project restart form where he was set ablaze after the, after the restart from coronavirus. The defense is great, just very, there hasn't been as much offensive output as, they, as you would like, but Hakeem Ziyech has looked to be coming alive a little bit, scored in the second leg clash against Atletico. He's also scored in the last minute, the last minute counterattack against Sheffield. So maybe Hakeem the Dream coming out a little bit. They they seem to be gaining a little bit of steam up front there as the as Pulisic and, and Ziesh both showed out over the weekend. So there is it, it only seems to be looking up. Once again, I'm I still would have given Lampard till the end of the season. But all credit to Tuckle. He has done a great job riding the ship and Chelsea right back in the thicket of that top four. You would expect them to finish right near up there with Leicester, if not above Leicester or even Manchester United. Now, I said that name Timo Werner because, I well, now let's move on to a different part with him, that he has been rumored with a move out of West London after just one year, and he has been rumored to be in a swap move for Erling Haaland of Dortmund? What? It doesn't make any sense to me. Chelsea, it, may, it, it makes sense in that, of course, Haaland being Dort, Borussia Dortmund striker in the, in the Bundesliga. He is 20 years old. He is setting all types of goal-scoring records. Guy is the next best thing after, after Robert Lewandowski of, of Bayern, but... I, Chelsea are getting linked to all these names because of their money and things like that. They're saying that they're going to give Timo and 50 million to Dortmund. Dortmund's in a financial crisis right now, so they need to offload. And Haaland is only 20 years old. Looks like he's been playing the game for six years. And he's at a level where a top move would probably be ideal for him. But I mean, why Why would he... At first, if I'm Haaland, I'm sure not going to Chelsea when Manchester City needs a new striker and Manchester City is by far the best team in the land right now, advancing himself under Pep Guardiola, potentially, could Haaland do. But Erling Haaland, he's a great talent. He is he's, he's unbelievable to watch. He plays the game with such tenacity, such energy. But why do Chelsea need him? They just spent... A combined what? Maybe over a hundred. I'm thinking a hundred, close to 140 million euros on Havertz and Werner both combined. Those two are to try and get their attack going. Timo's 25, Havertz is 21, and yes, Haaland is 20. But they just spent. They just committed so much money to these two guys. We don't need him. And we've got Tammy at the back. We've got at the back of the bench. We've got Giroud just waiting to get on and give it, give, be given a chance. Listen, Haaland is great. But like when, when we just dedicated so much, so much effort to get Timo to come here, so much money to get him to play. And now we've even dedicated our new coach to get the best out of him. 
why would you, you're going to halt all that progress and all that everything that you just put in to get him to come and just use him for trade bait? No. I don't think that makes much sense to me. He's supposed to be at the center of this next part of this club's history, and they're going to be they're going to be something else in the future too, because Havertz is starting to hit form a little bit, and he's only 21, and it's it's amazing to watch him play. There's a there's a connection with him and Timo in there with the German connection, of course. Just spending so much money, so much effort to get him to come, and they're putting in so much time to try and get Timo back to top form. There's no need to be trading off Erling Haaland, especially if he can be going off to a better team that isn't Manchester City. I mean, if he if if Barcelona or Madrid could snare him, I mean, it'd be great for them. It would be, I think, even better for Chelsea because we barely ever run into Madrid. There is potential that if Chelsea beats Porto in the quarterfinal of the Champions League, that we could run into Madrid. In the semis, if they beat Liverpool. But again, I don't think there is there is much reason for Haaland to be coming in. We've already spent we spent two hundred million last summer after after our transfer ban. Our transfer ban was a blessing in disguise because we were the only team that had money to spend after everyone got hit so hard by the pandemic. But we spent so much on, on the forwards. We spent it on, as I said, on Timo, on, on Havertz. We also spent it on Ziyech, too. I just don't think there's any reason because it would just completely undo the entire process. And Timo is getting into his prime, 25. He's going to be going into his 26, 27, 28 years old. That's going to be a time that really, really tells. And you may as well sell him high if you do, but... It would just be completely, it would just be such a Roman Abramovich move to do that. And I hate the way Abramovich lets these managers go so quick, lets the players go, doesn't give anybody a chance. It would just be great if Timo could be given a chance and just let Haaland rock on his own because we can let Timo rock up front as well because he's going to be the centerpiece in the future. It's just helping him find form is all. And that's what Tuckle's going to do. I have full faith. I think the, the club should have full faith in Timo and not get him caught up in these transfer rumors for a player who is admittedly better than him. And if he can just stay grounded, can Timo, he's going to help lead this team into the, into the future. So that is our soccer section. Heading on to the hot take where I say I told you so as we're going to highlight what exactly it is that Kenny Galladay can do for these, for these New York Giants on the offensive side of MetLife Stadium. Hot takes next. Hot take time on episode nine of the pitch. And I'm a football guy. That's my hot take today. I've never really known too much about football. I've always liked to follow it. But I called it. That's all I'm saying. I've got it on record for like the first time ever. And you guys can go back to a few podcasts to go. When I said that Kenny Galladay would be a perfect pickup for the New York Giants. And boy, did it happen. He got a mega deal. Four years, $72 million. He will become, he will become the Giants' first string receiver. Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton will drop down the pecking order a little bit with Galladay coming in. In a season that was rather injury-ridden in the middle of his prime, he's 27 years old. 
He's a really exciting dude to be playing with, playing with now a younger quarterback looking to lead a dynamic offense. It is seems to be a good partnership already because Joe, Daniel Jones, Giants quarterback, and Galladay have been in touch with each other over the past few days saying that they are excited to work with each other and such and such. So this is a very, very exciting partnership that I'm looking to looking forward to watching. I have not followed a, I really followed a singular team in quite some time, a quite over, maybe over close to 10 years. Last time I followed the Giants, like really religiously was when that was, was the season after they won their, um, their second Super Bowl against Tom Brady's Patriots. Since then, it had really not been a, a lot of one team that I have followed. But now, I mean, now that they've got Galladay, they've got a, a probably going to be a healthy Saquon Barkley. And depending on what they do with their draft pick, I mean, this could be, this could be a really scary team. And um, another name they just picked up is there in the backfield to solidify their backfield even more is Adoree Jackson, former Titans cornerback. The uh, the former Titans cornerback was just signed, I, th- I believe, yesterday by the Giants. And it was also revealed that Logan Ryan of the Giants now was the first guy to reach out to him and say, yeah, and to recruit him to come to New York. Obviously, a successful recruiting style. Now, I mean, the Giants had had a pretty decent backfield for a few years now. But last year, it shone through really well with James Bradbury being the standout star. Jabril Peppers, of course, at the, at, on the outside. And to, to add a Dory Jackson to that just adds even more quality. And Kenny Galladay, it goes without saying with him, if he's healthy, he's probably top 10, top 15 receivers in the league on his day. So that was the introduction to my hot take, saying that especially if I follow the Giants a little bit more, seeing what they've done in this offseason, I think they're going to win the NFC East at the end at the end of this coming football season. You think that the Washington football team has a decent chance at it. They won it last year in some in some circumstances that were very unforeseen by Giants fans as a as a as a I couldn't call myself a fan last year. But as a former fan with, with New York Giants running in my blood, that was, some, that was a really poor showing out by, um, by, the, by the Eagles and things like that in that final game. But I think, that, I think that, the, that the Giants have a vision under Joe Judge, and Joe Judge himself is planning out that blueprint. He, he had the blueprint when they hired him, and um, it, I think it's construction time. They're definitely building the foundation of the house, and sooner or later... They're going to have that whole house standing and they're going to be coming for, for the NFL. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but it's, it's very, very clear that Joe Judge has a vision with what he wants to do with this team and signing Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson, two of the, of the top class players at their respective positions is, is the Giants' first step because they're in a rather weak NFC East with the, with the Eagles and the Cowboys seemingly. I mean, if they do what they did last year, the Giants are going to blow them out of the water. But of course, Dak Prescott's going to be coming back from injury. They've got the Eagles have, um, excuse me, the Eagles have Jalen Hurts leading them into the future with their receivers with Fulgham and Rieger and potentially Jamar Chase or Jalen, even Jalen Waddle. If, um, if they, if they are still available in the draft, you would imagine they'd go for a, for a wide receiver with their top six picks with their, with their number six pick, excuse me. 
So the the East could get interesting, but with the names that they've got, they've now got Galladay. They've got Evan Ingram. Another underrated pickup was Kyle Rudolph, veteran tight end from Minnesota. They signed off of the free agent market. They've got Saquon in the backfield. And of course, Sterling Shepard and um and Darius Slayton to back them to back up Galladay and Ingram to partner with to partner with Kyle Rudolph. So the offense seems structured well. And uh, of course the backfield is looking really, really good for the giants as well. So they look to be a rather complete team. And you think it's now just maybe on Daniel Jones to really pull every single thing together. And I did see um, another good reason that Galladay has signed. I saw this stat the other day that, uh, Jones led the league in deep ball. I think it was deep ball percentages, either deep ball percentages or deep balls thrown, which I'm assuming is maybe over 20, 30 yards. And Galladay led the league in deep ball receptions. So that could be a key, key aspect to this Giants offense. If they want to go deep from maybe the 40 or the 50 yard line, Jones is good at throwing the ball deep and Galladay is good at catching the ball deep. So potentially potential dynamic duo blossoming in East Rutherford. So that's a hot take is that I think the Giants are going to win the NFC East. I don't know how much further they're going to go. I don't know if they would go much further with the, with the powerhouses in the NFC. And even if they did get that far, it doesn't seem like Patrick Mahomes is going down anytime soon. And it doesn't seem like Tom Brady has anywhere to go himself. Not saying that we might see a potential Super Bowl matchup, Uh, excuse me, a Super Bowl rematch, but I just, but sticking to the NFC East, I think that the Giants, with all these impact signings of Jackson, of Galladay, even of of Kyle Rudolph, that he'll play a part too, and every single part of this team is equipped to win the NFC East. That's the hot take, and that's all the time we have on episode nine of The Pitch. It is wonderful to be back in front of the mic and on the screen recording for you guys. It had been a bit of a hiatus, I know. But I'm back to recording one episode per week, as usual, will be coming out starting this week. So thanks very much for tuning in to episode nine of The Pitch. Episode 10 coming at you next week. Your boy, Michael Kirsting, that is Michael, with a Y, is out for this week. Thanks again for listening.